All right, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Creekcast. Thanks for listening. As always, David here, ready to talk some Port Footy. A few different subjects on the on the agenda today. I'm uh, going to just cover a bit of like my thoughts overall on the first bit over half of a season. Finally, um, meant to do it earlier in the week, but I thought I'd just wrap it up into a, a preview of this weekend's game as well, and uh, and as well as um, a really important player to our fortunes so far this season. A guy that's come. Um, just really, his footy's gone ahead in leaps and bounds this year and, and really putting together uh, what we all know he had, the little glimpses we've seen from him over the last couple of years. Of course, I'm talking about Miles Bergman, who has signed a two-year extension to his deal, which I think so takes him through to the end of 2025. Um, so I'll talk about that a little bit in, in, um, a little bit here as well. So it's a little bit of a, yeah, just a subway italian sandwich full of you know you know all the things that you love in a in a podcast well i guess it depends if you love the podcast or not but um and some not everyone likes italian subs either i used to always like getting an italian sub though you get a little bit of that you know salami and pepperoni in there and a medley of vegetables and whatever else and uh and all those little pepperoncinis fuck i'm getting distracted on oh whoops um anyway um i'm clearly needing some lunch uh so i should probably actually Go have some lunch and then come back and record the rest of this. But I'm going to leave this intro because fuck it, I've already started. So anyway, a little bit of a uh, Subway sandwich of a podcast episode coming up. Alrighty, I'm back. I've had a little bowl of cereal. I'm feeling better about myself. So let's get into it. Um, first of all, I don't know exactly how to do a review of the season so far because um, you know every week I kind of review the games and I, I, I probably should just keep notes better. Um but I don't because I've always been terrible at that. Um, but I guess I mean the overall story of the season has been one of just just one of the biggest probably little infights I've seen at Port like a real clash of heads uh, or clash of ideas. I guess it wasn't like it was directly within the club. Um, we don't know what's happened there, but you know just the stuff that happened on the radio earlier in the year um, where the fans were at was a real kind of um you know we're in all those real marking points in in um for some reason and this is going to going to be um this is going to be very specific to people who have got a love of the old age of empires 2 game that i do um and still like it's still great and still really popular um the mark of a great P- a pc game of, of yesteryear um, is the fact that it's still insanely popular and played a lot but when you'd finish a game you'd uh you'd see like a timeline of your of your civilization's history and there'd be like a little axe and sword in at specific points where a major battle had occurred. And I feel like I feel like the Warren Treadray and, and, and all that stuff that happened earlier in the year was like, is it gonna be like one of those markers in our history? Um as just a just a flashpoint regardless of what happens for the rest of the year. Um it was a real interesting um testing and it was a tough week as I mean obviously as a club probably was a tough week players are going to hear it it's going to be tough um, and they were certainly having a tough week already after the capitulation against the Crows in that last quarter in a game that I still think looking back at it I still think we had we had two different chances in that game I think to put the game to bed um, and we didn't and then that happened and it was it was a tough and testing week and as you know this being a fans podcast I was coming up from a fans point of view it was really tough because you you don't like seeing the club you love, you know, I mean, some people have a, you know, kind of masochistic need to, or, you know, just to, uh, to see drama and sports and whatever, and they enjoy it and thrive on it. But I'm not one of those. I just enjoy when the good times are rolling as they are, have been since really. Um, it's been really fun. I think you probably see when I'm putting out the memes and whatever else that I, I just enjoy that aspect of it. And, you know, occasionally I can get into the opposition banter, but I don't even really get into that that much. I just enjoy supporting Port and, you know, obviously enjoy seeing the, the teams I hate and their rivals lose and whatever, but it's just it's just fun to be a fan of a team that's doing well and, and good vibes are around. And even if it was an 11-game winning streak, if we dropped one in there somewhere and we would, we'd still be, you know, if we'd only dropped one in there somewhere, we'd still be comfortably in the top four at the moment. But it's lovely that we've had an 11-game streak and it's... And we're comfortably, real comfortably entrenched in there at the moment. Um, you know, it, it would still be positive. But that week was really testing as a fan. It was just, for me, um, one of the tougher times outside of like, you know, I mean, obviously the 2007 grand final. 
um, was really tough. Uh, obviously, the 2021 preliminary final as well uh, was tough. Like, yeah, I mean, we've had some close losses in finals as well, but those ones were really just embarrassing. You know, the world's crashing down on you. Know, all the opposition fans getting into your mentions on Twitter and comments on Instagram and whatever else. Those are that's a that's a different kind of test because it tests your resolve as a fan to just not be. You kind of kind of got to just got to back yourself out of it a little bit and just and take care of yourself a little bit because otherwise you just get mired into the into the hateful rhetoric sometimes and I'm certainly not I'm certainly guilty of doing that sometimes it's you know I'm human you know you sometimes just get sucked into it and then you have to like physically pull yourself back out of it and that was kind of one of those weeks and and that's what makes this season so amazing since is that we've gone on this run after such a time in which the very heart and soul of the club was kind of being questioned and then you know we can still I can I certainly at the time put out some podcasts discussing it and trying to just put out my point of view and I still think there's we're not perfect behind the scenes there's still some you know it would be better it would be nicer to have a little bit more unity between you know former club legends and and people keep trying to um like to bash Treadray about this if they're if they're on the side of the club in this and I don't take sides so much as to try to look at it as objectively as possible but you know uh, Treadray wasn't the only one stating this stuff he kind of just was the one that put it out there on a podcast in such terms that gave the clickbaity headlines but then you know when he went on the radio he had people like Tim Ginever who we all love and is involved at the club and and he was you know saying certain things like yeah there is stuff that you know some of the former players don't like and 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 the way the clubs so you know that stuff was all there um but you know with a loss to Collingwood the way that game went the way the end of the Crows game went there was the very heart and soul of the club being questioned. There was the, the I guess, the ticker of the players was being questioned as well and what their endeavour was and what they really wanted to get out of their their port careers and were they willing to put their bodies on the line and all that stuff. Um, that was all there. Uh, you know, those questions were really being asked. And, and, and you know, I, I think most of us really didn't see a way out. Like, I just, I thought when the way that we'd lost to Collingwood and the way that they were playing football and then the way that we, you know, fell over against the Crows, who... To remind you, I mean, the Crows have been having a pretty good season since, so they're on too at the start of the year. You know, they lost to... Did they lose to Frio? I can't even remember who their first game was against. I think it was Frio, but then they lost to Richmond at home as well, which Richmond have turned out. And maybe they should have won that game. They had a pretty handy period in that game, but um, ultimately lost. So, you know, when you're losing to Collingwood, who, yeah, they were, they're a pretty good team, and then but losing to the Crows at the time looked worse than maybe it does now. And they're still... The Crows still have been up and down, but they play Adelaide Oval pretty damn well at the moment, so... Um, there is some context to that that's come a little bit more full circle since, but it was a rough time. And the reason I keep just rolling, rolling over this for a couple of minutes is I think, you know, it, it feels so long ago now with having had such a good streak. It's interesting to come back to and, and look at those comments and look at the way that, you know, and then you just go back to Twitter at the time, you know, people are, Ken, the Ken Hinckley um, vitriol had never been higher. And I've said this many times on the podcast and I'll continue to say it. Um, I get it. Like, I get that, you know, Hinckley's had a run at the top as a coach um, that is unrivaled as far as, you know, coaching for this longer of time without getting to a grand final and, and no coaches don't usually get this kind of length of rope and all that kind of stuff. I get it. Like, I get the frustrations. I'm frustrated too. I think we, you know, I, I wish we'd you know, one of these three preliminary finals, at least we should have got through, particularly the two that we were quite close in. I think Hawthorne we had on the ropes in that game at times and and considering how much of a dynasty they were, that was an incredible performance from us, but ultimately we let it slip. You know, Richmond, um, a couple of missed marks, missed goals, and, and, you know, that's again, sometimes that's not coaching. It was a wet weather game. I was down there for that one. Like, I don't know, a lot of people listening probably were too. You know, there's it's fine margins, but then, the, you know, the final in 2021, all those things... Are valid reasons, but I, I I do always like to push back against the people that just call Hinkley. There's some people that just say some unfair things on the internet that you wouldn't. I, I'd be surprised if you said to his face. If you did, um, go to the club and say it to his face. I'd like to see the response you got from him and and any players that might be around him as well. And that's a nice segue. And it's not what I'm encouraging you to try and stir up some violence. And I hope the the players and our coach would be bigger men than that. But I'm sure you'd be shouted down pretty well, at the very least. Um, I don't know, there's, there's people on, there is people on the internet and Twitter I'm talking about at the moment. They get on there and say, I know people that are involved at the club that know the, the man Hinkley is, and he's not. He's a, he's a you know, he's a power-hungry, and he's you know does this and that and the other. 
then you see people ask, well, okay, who's your sources? What is this? Like, oh, no, I can't, I can't really that. I'm like, well, just don't fucking put it there. Like, I just, why, you know, people stir stuff up and then don't back it up. And I'm just like, sure. Like, I'll, I, I keep it in the back of my mind because if anything ever does come out, I'll be like, okay, I remember that guy saying that. But at the moment, it's just like, you know, some people are still, you know, there's the whole jo- Josh Carr's the coach of the team and he's an assistant coach. So, yeah, he's one of the coaches of the team. It doesn't mean Hinkley's influence has been completely negated either at this time. And, and we've seen time and time again, um, uh, this is the segue that I, I stumbled over, but um, how Hinkley, the players seem to back him in and we've seen players like, you know, Charlie Dixon who said he was going to run out his one contract he had at Port and was going to fucking tick off back to sunny Cairns in Queensland because he, he was, he's a Queensland Cairns boy and he wasn't a big fan of the cold down here and but Hinkley kind of changed that and he was already close to Hinkley anyway and he, he fell in love with down here and now he's you know he's got his Chuck's garage and his little bit of plot of farmland and all that stuff Ollie Wines I think it was the story is that you know his family was devastated I think his mum cried when he got drafted to Port is the story I've seen uh, without having any credit for it here so you know just take everything I say with a grain of salt always I try to be as educated as I can on these things but I free these podcasts like this a lot because that's just how I I enjoy to do it but you know, there's that. There's Butters with, you know, Butters had some significant personal issues within his family, um, not within him immediately, but um, immediate family members in his first couple of years here. And he's often talked about um, the influence of Ken as a father figure and, and helping him navigate through that. And we're, we're reaping the benefits of that now. And I think Rosie's the same. And a lot of these guys um, ride hard for Hinkley. And we saw that in that when we were one and two and after the Treasury podcast and all that stuff, we saw a response from some of the players that um sorry my, my cats are fighting right next to the table i've got the microphone on i'm just like waiting for it all to go spilling down um they're very silently fighting though it's like a it just needs some little fucking organist music and it'll be like a like a silent movie um but <laughs> you know we saw like the players were going into bat for him um that week and and that's what everyone's response was mine included was just like well fucking show it like i want to see because I was as frustrated as anyone, and, and I, I'm not going to shy away from that. I think that's a val- that was a valid response to that start to the season as well. Um, but, you know, we wanted to see the response, and since then, I think we've seen it. And a few games, that, and we're not perfect. We have games where we, uh, you know, we've looked like we're going to let it slip at times, you know, whether it be Melbourne or, um, you know, that Geelong first quarter was a bit bit rough. Um, and there's d- different games along the way where we just have a bad quarter, and it's and it's just, you know, I think it's pretty difficult in the modern AFL to play four quarters at full pelt um, but still sometimes I do and this is, a, this is a, a genuine thing that I still do believe to this minute um, that we do sometimes have a bit too much of a, a gap between our best and our worst uh, I think like that's probably working towards the rest of the season is that you're closing that up a bit and I think we've seen a little bit of it but I still think that's an issue with Port um, I think we had a goal with quarter um, somewhat recently as well uh, but you know that's just one of those things but you know since then um, since the players backed him in and, and the club kind of just said no this is just we're sticking fat with this um, it's been a, we've seen the response and I think that's all we can really ask for is that response and you know an 11 game win streak um, started off I think if we will go back to that the start of the streak that Sydney game was somewhat fortuitous there we we were on the ropes twice in that game. We came back once um, and got ourselves a little bit of ways ahead. And then, you know, midway through that th- last quarter against Sydney, they'd gotten themselves, I think, oh, they 17 points up. I think it was, like, just under three goals, possibly. Could have even been four. No, I think it was three because I think we kicked through on the bounce to get ourselves ahead. Then they get ahead again, and then, you know, um, it's it's just an incredible finish to a game. But it was imperfect. We we I think we only played, uh, to me, uh, without having gone back and watched, I watched the replay, obviously, at the time. But since then... I haven't watched it again, obviously. We've had the season going and I don't have time to watch um, endless replays. But in my head, I've always thought we played about one and a half quarters of really good footy. So when you think about that, it means that Sydney probably had more of the overall without... But they didn't They didn't do the damage that they needed to at the times as well. And that's that's a factor in, in why you lose. But you saw a little bit of that response we were asking for. Because to come back twice in a game, and that's been a feature report since that time as well, um, is... We've seen Port coming back in games, and particularly that uh, Sydney game to come back and win that one the way we did. Even to have the just the wherewithal and the and the ticket to stay stay within the game, um, right to the point of spoiling that goal on the line. Because you know 
99 times out of 100 when a player kicks a ball that flush and straight and he's within 50, um, he's probably kicking that through. And, you know, as we as we were watching and as the commentators were and everyone else, um, we think it's going through and they're celebrating, but then suddenly you see our boy celebrating and realise that the flyer on the line in a Lear is... Has, has spoiled it and don't even need a goal review. It's a, it's a win, and it was imperfect. Uh, we weren't great for large parts of the day. At time, that first quarter was quite insipid, really. But we found the players had a response there, and that's what I think we've seen as a theme since then is the players, and I've said this um, a lot, uh, in, if you listen regularly, you would have heard me say this before in, in games that we've, in a lot of these close games against good sides that we've won, is our ability to to stick tough in those last quarters. And I've said that I believe that's a response to how embarrassed the players were um, in that last quarter capitulation against the Crows. Because we, we got, our, got our noses in front in the last quarter of a showdown and then ended up losing by five goals. That's just... That's inexcusable kind of stuff for a Port Adelaide footy club, um, particularly not even getting into the prison bar stuff. You know, a jersey uh, Guernsey only makes so much difference. Um, but there still should have been a bit more pride in it. But since then... Um, you've kind of seen that the players just don't want to give give those moments up, and uh, and there's a toughness that's completely um, foreign, and, and and it just doesn't even look like the same side that was you know falling apart in that. Like it just just wasn't matching the Crows in that last quarter, and you, and it all starts with that Sydney game in what was an imperfect performance. One I think without the week we had that week. I wonder what would have happened in that Sydney game if we'd won that showdown and then gone up and put that performance in. Do we lose? It's all sliding doors and having those discussions will just send your head into a spin and turn your brain to mush sometimes. But um, the response, like it's been a response and not just that game, the 10 games after the Sydney game too. We've seen that response, uh, whether it be Geelong, whether it be Melbourne. I mean, we had Brody Grundy running through the middle of the Adelaide Oval um, shushing the crowd when they went up 17, 18 points up in late in that third quarter. One minute and 19 seconds to go, by the way. I put that out on, um, I think, Twitter and Instagram at the time. Um, there's a screen grab of just Grody in the middle. Grody. Brody Grundy. Uh, I was uh, Maybe I'll just start calling him Grody now. That makes more sense in my head. Um, that's nothing against him. I was just saying, just com- combining the names um, for my dumbass brain. Um but yeah, Grody running through the middle of Adelaide Oval doing the shush with one, one minute and 19 seconds to go. And I put out a little tweet and said, is this like the year that we just lift the curse with these little things? Because, you know, the one one nineteen things stuck around, is sticking around forever no matter what. But um, it just was interesting seeing that. I, I don't believe in superstition or curses or anything like that, but um, it was an interesting thing. But, you know, you see that, and this is a team that won the Premiership two years ago and is still... One of the probably top four favourites. I think they're not favourite uh, this year by any means, and they've had an up and down year. But you know, for Melbourne to be in that position, you kind of think Melbourne's going to go on and win this. The way it was a top top level game of footy in in um, trying conditions as well, but it was a good game of footy, and we were playing good footy. But Melbourne just matched us in that third quarter and got ahead, and you just thought, oh, fuck, is this is this finally the moment? No, and then we go on the, on in the last quarter and 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 absolutely smash them, and it's just. We've seen this time and time again um, since this, you know, really rough start to the season that we just have found this ticker and this toughness and this resolve um, that just I haven't seen in a Ken Hinckley footy team I think ever. Because you, when you, even when you think back to his early years, it was a different. It was more of a free flowing style that was predicated on the fact that that kind of footy that he brought in in those early years at Port hadn't quite been played before. And we were just running over the top of teams and, and, and outscoring them at will. And, and especially when you look at that early 2014 season where we were, what, 9-1, 10-1 or whatever it was, and just playing really good footy. Teams just couldn't touch us. But now AFL's evolved, you know, what Richmond did and everything that's happened in the last 10 years. You know, you, we can't... That, that footy just... You, get, you need to add something to that footy. And you can see there's a bit of that run and freedom to Port's play again um, that we've, we've missed at times over the past few years. And maybe it's just that we've got the cattle in um, the cattle in the stables, the horses in the stables now, um, to play that kind of footy as we've seen over the last 10, 11 weeks. Um, but it's also there's a toughness to the footy as well, and especially we got tested. And I think I can't remember the exact number, but I think the we were minus 60 or something. or was it we were minus 
fifty something in just the Collingwood game in contested possession. I we we got smashed in the contested ball two weeks in a row, and it really that was a real marker of um, alarm for Port fans and Port Adelaide. I'm sure in those Collingwood and Adelaide losses, we got really really smashed in the contested ball. And it's not that we've been winning it every week, but we've closed the gap considerably. I think we were plus nine in that Sydney game, so that really you know we really swung the tables around at that point. Um, and then since then, you know, we've lost the contested ball in games, but it's 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 been um, we've closed the gap and and been winning the contested ball, um, winning the territory battle. Uh, that Mar- I've I've bring it up a lot on the podcast. Tackles inside fifty, um, we've been um, often doubling the output of tackles inside fifty uh, comparative to the other team. Um, I thought I had I did have a stat. I've been trying to get. I, I find AFL stat tables um, sometimes a little bit hard to. I can not hard to read. Obviously, understand them. It's just hard to actually grab grab it all together and 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 have it easy um, easy to read. But um, the tackles inside fifty uh, has been a really um, a marker of where we're at because there's it's an interesting thing. Um, a lot of the stats, such as contested ball, dispo- disposals are actually near the top, which I I often think that we're getting beaten in the disposals mark. Um, but the 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 interesting thing is we're so average disposals per game. We're third, I think, on the on the table, um, third or fourth. Kicks per game went down near the bottom, so it's actually where where our method of disposal is fairly even. And you see the guys like Ollie Wines and Will and Drew, who are Ollie's, um, as I've said at times this season, um, Ollie's really taken it upon himself, having seen the explosion of Butters to be the player that we all knew Butters had this in him, and Rosie continuing along his merry merry path to um, superstardom as well. Uh, that Wines has been able to adjust his game, and he gets he's able to play that real in and under role. Get the hand like often Wines is you know you know we've got thirty percent more handballs and kicks in a game or more. Sometimes it'll be double. It'll be like you know nine ten kicks and and it'll be and there'll be fifteen twenty handballs if he's getting a thirty disposal game. Like he's having some games like that this year. Um, and so that's it. You kind of see that despite and and the run and carry off a halfback and all that stuff. You know Dan Houston having an All Australian year. In my humble, um, non-biased but biased opinion, <laughs> um, you know, the guys running off halfback. Dylan Williams has been a revelation. And all those guys, because they're quick, and also, and they've got the footy IQ. And I think that's what we've really seen with Dylan Williams is guy getting smart footy guys in this side, and and backing them in. We've seen that they run and carry off halfback, quick handballs. They 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 kind of just open up a space through the middle, and it's often through the middle or just you know just inside the wing there. Um, that we're really getting some good run and carry, and it's hand handball chains, and then open it up to get a kick inside fifty, and getting deeper, more penetrative kicks inside fifty. We do have the habit of bombing long here and there when the game's going against us a bit, but we're we're starting to control it more of a halfback and being able to get the good kick inside fifty more often. And it's this that's the thing about this. It's not rocket science to to win games of footy. It's just you've actually got to have the the ho- I was about to say cattle in the stables again. What the fuck? Horses in the stable to be able to do it and bring you know recognizing. And Dylan Williams had this ability in him, and recognizing his footy smarts. Uh, you know whoever that was. You know it was a team effort from the coaches or just a particular one had really picked up on it. You know um, kudos to them. Uh, you know and recognizing that he his what he could do down there because I know when when he got selected everyone was just like what the fuck is Williams doing in the side and what the fuck is he doing at halfback and then you know since then we've all had to eat our eat our, eat our words on that so um, and I know I think there was some people that did and I, I can't remember who but I know there was some people on Twitter that said oh he's played a bit of halfback in the preseason like you know you might see him you might see you might be surprised and I just I just hadn't seen it so I you know I happily hold up my hands and say I don't keep an eye on every single thing and I was pleasantly surprised and continue to be and um, and our team is all the better for it and um, then obviously you know, like Bergman having a career year and I just I'll get onto his contract thing in a bit here but um, but then you look at the forward lines and I was starting to talk about tackles inside 50 before and you know the revelation that Jed McIntyre has been coming in and he's kicking I think he's kicked eight or nine goals this year as well so he's kicking goals but it, Primarily, his role is like I mean, the last game against Geelong, he only had four disposals for the game. He kicked a goal, but one of you know one of the highlight highlight plays of the entire day was him his little chase down tackle on All Australian Jeremy Cameron, All Australian Premiership winner, Coleman Medal like a caliber, you know, massive forward. He's he's dropped down back because he's needed down there, and then fucking little Jed McIntyre's wearing the number forty one has chased him down like come from fucking nowhere and chased down Jeremy Cameron about forty. 40, 45 out from goal. I think it was about 40 out from goal. 
Um, and then he's gone back and slotted it. And, you know, it's just the, it's the impact of those guys. I mean, we can talk until the cows come home about your, your Jeremy Finlayson's been fantastic. I'm going to miss some guys in the, in the review, the, the kind of just overall thing, because I'm talking about an overall season. I'm trying to do this quickly, and I'm already up to 25 minutes, and I need to wrap it up. But, you know, we've talked about all the stars a lot. You know, you're... You're, uh, yeah, you're fin- you know, Finlayson's having a great year and kicking goals. And, you know, Dixon, um, you know, he's had that injury period in the middle, but he's he's kicked bags at three or four, um, at least three goals, I think, four or five goal- times this season. I don't think he did it once last year. So he, he's been better this year than last year at his ripe old age. And, you know, guys like Wines and Butters and Rosie and all those ones, um, you know, get the plaudits all the time. But it's your guys like Willem Drew, it's your... It's your Dan Houston's, um, it's your it's your Jed McEntee's and those kind of blokes. It's the Sam Power Peppers, um, and even you know only played one game so far. But your Quinton Arkles, all those guys from you know the fourteen. You know you can you look well if you want to split it down the middle and say it's, you know you've got your top eleven players in a side in a, in a you know game day squad of twenty two or twenty three, including the sub sub these days. Um, you know you've got those the top eleven guys that are all going to get you know they're going to get the select footy stars cards and all that stuff um but it's your bottom bottom 11 or even even more so your bottom six or seven those ones that are in the side that when there's this you know selection discussions coming up you go you start looking at you there's there's always those few names that are that are first in at the forefront of your mind as who would go out if some guy's going to come in the fact that a lot of those guys are the ones this year that are are putting their foot down and saying no this is my spot and i'm playing an integral role in the side and i am actually aiding the side in its ability to win 11 in a row because you know if Jed McEntee's not doing those little one percenters and the tackles and the forward forward 50 pressure that's getting us you know 16 inside 50 tackles to five in, in a lot of games we're not we're not on this winning streak we're maybe you know we're sitting in fifth or eighth probably it's those guys it's the other guys you know I fucking love that movie by the way uh, the Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg one if people aren't as nuts about movies as I am but you know it's the other guys it's you know you got your uh, fucking The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson jumping off of buildings and saving lives and until they do until they aim for the bushes um, it's not going to make any sense unless you've seen that movie but it's, it's your other guys it's the traffic cops and all those debt the, the pencil pushes and that's kind of what it's like with this footy side at the moment too it's those guys that are you know the whole unit isn't able to function without those guys and and when you're an average to poor team, it's when you don't have those guys. You know, maybe they're great guys in the side and they're, and they're trying their damn little hearts out, but they're just not good enough. But these guys have come to the side and been good enough and been great and have propelled Port to being a top two side as we currently sit and comfortably in the top four as we currently sit because the other guys are doing their fucking job. And that's that's what probably the real, you know, underrated part of this run has been so far is the impact of the other guys. They've taken the message on board from Ken and and Josh Carr and whoever else um, you want a conspiracy theory about why the Port have had an eleven game win streak um, as well. And then obviously, when the other guys are doing those kind of things, it allows the likes of Zach Butters to be in Brownlow medal form, allows Connor Rosie to be putting together. You know, if he keeps going at this rate, his second All Australian season in a row. It allows Ollie Wines to. You know, kind of adjust his game from being the Brownlow medal winner he was a couple of years to still still being as integral to our side, just playing a different role. And even uh, and I guess Will and Drew, I think, still counts as one of the other guys as well because he's an extremely underrated outside of Port. But you know, and even Boke just being out of it, you know, he's obviously at his age, but he's um, now that he's back from injury, you know, he's been playing a lot better footy as well. So you know, everyone, you know, it's it's one of those rising tide lifts all ships kind of arguments, isn't it? Really, it's um, if you're those bottom six players in your in your in your twenty two are uh, playing footy that makes it hard to try to figure out who exactly gets dropped. Usually, there's one or two guys still that you go, all right, they maybe they're not playing the best, but you know it is t- it's tough at the decision uh, the selection table at the moment. That's what makes that's what makes um, good sides great is when those bottom six guys are you know doing the other guys thing. So um, I don't know if that was a real sensical uh, review of the season. I have I've probably forgotten some things I've thought about earlier in the week but that's just my thoughts on how it's gone really I didn't want to get into stats heavy I know I brought up a few random things here and there but I just wanted to get the like my overall vibey kind of thoughts on the season so far and kind of that's where I'm at I'm pretty happy um I certainly wanted to touch on how it started again because I think it's important to you know remember back to how rough it was and how shit we felt um 
but that's why you do this stuff. Like you, that's why I enjoy. You got to enjoy the wins. You got to enjoy this win streak as well, um, for how wonderful it is. Because you know we, you know, we always feel shit and and you know tweet out how unhappy we are at the times when it's going badly. So we've got to you know enjoy it when it's going well as well. That's the whole point of being a sports fan. Is like you go through the pain to enjoy the good times, and obviously the premiership is the ultimate good times. But enjoy the journey as well um, is really important, I think, and. Um, it's been a pretty fucking fun journey so far, uh, which is wonderful. All right, so of course we've had the uh, wonderful news just in the last couple of days that Miles um, Bergman, uh, probably one of the more sought-after young defenders in the in the competition at the moment. Um, you know, the the rumours have been flying uh, about you know what his contract status was going to be. Um, you know, a lot of obviously with him from being from. Uh, Victoria, like the the go home factor, all that stuff has been talked about, uh, and certainly, you know, I, we none of us would have, would have begrudged it if that had been the course of action he had taken. But of course, we've seen just how important he's been. His kicks out of he's had some he's had some uncharacteristic uh, mis, miscues out of defense. I've noticed in you know past month or two, but overall, some of his his kicks out of the defensive fifty that have really unlocked some of our attacking passages of play because he he picks a target really well. Um, the right right weight on the kick and kind of like sets up the player to be able to to move on with the move on with the possession quite quickly because of the way he kicks and you know, certainly his intercept marking's been fantastic and just just his um, his body his size you know he put a bit of muscle on in the off season he's been able to throw himself around a bit more as well so he's like a real real just all around just great player to have off coming off um, halfback and and certainly certainly as a defensive player as well. Um, you know, his intercept marking is, you know, we need someone else apart from Elia doing all that down there. So, you know, he's had an incredible year and, and certainly the interest was high. I don't think, you know, he was one of the hottest commodities in the, um, in the uh, you know, uncontracted player market. Uh, not free agent, but, you know, he was going to be out of contract. And and certainly there was um, the the uh, seagull, seagulls would have been, um, or the vultures uh, would have been, you know, hanging around a little bit to pick uh, if he had so... You know, so in, inferred that he was looking to looking to move on, but um, he signed on until the end of 2025, which makes him, I think, 24 at that point. Um, so he's still going. He's still so young, and at that point, at the end of this contract, he'll still have really just most of his career in front of him and his best footy in front of him still as well. So it's not like we've locked him up for life or anything like that. But I think it's a real it's a real player and team friendly deal. You know, it's an, you know it, it's not like we're putting any major money on the books yet we're getting two more years out of him he he gets a bit more of a go in seeing where we're at um, and certainly at the moment he's probably pretty happy with how the club's going and playing with some good mates and he enjoys the players he's playing with he's probably enjoying all of that so you know he gets a, get another couple of years to figure it out and really and really play for the big a, a bigger contract he's kind of he's kind of betting on himself a little bit and the club's kind of betting on him and you know they're letting him have a bit more time to figure it out they have a bit more time to figure it out with the money and, and future contracts and all that stuff. And uh, and we get to kind of prove to him as well, you know, and, and just figure out where our list, manage, list management's at at that time. Um, so I think it's a real team and player-friendly deal. You know, we get both get a couple more years, figure it out. Um, we'll either at that point see he's just completely indispensable and then we'll be having to lace out some money, but we're going to have a few players that we're going to be doing that with in the next couple of years. So... There's going to be some um, big contract discussions with a lot of our young crop, and that's look, it's a tough problem to have for list management, and it sucks because sometimes you have to make some tough decisions, but it's also a great problem to have. It means we've got some good young players coming through. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really pleased that I think it's a testament to the club and where we're at as well that we're able to get it done now. You know, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I know a lot of you know the crows have signed some big, big contracts to some of the younger players. Um, and in the recent week or two as well, and, and good on them. You know, it's, it's kind of that time of year when the you know, the buys are on, and, and you have that bit of time to, if the player is willing to sit down and do it now, then they just, you know, you might as well get it done. But I think it's still a testament to where we're at um, that he was happy to sit down halfway through the year and kind of and kind of nip it in the bud and, and stop it being a discussion um, going forward. You know, and there's no, there's going to be no more Miles Bergman, Willie Wony stay um, stuff going forward. I guess the, the big one now is probably Georgiades, I guess. Um, that's a bit of a different kettle of fish at the moment with the fact he's out for the year and, and that's unfortunate for him. There's certainly no no um, 
not not me besmirching him. It's just it's just he's in a different situation. I'll make it really intriguing to see how we handle that going into the off season. Um, but you know the big one that's in form and in, in front of people's eyes is Miles Bergman, and he's um, he's made that a non-issue um, going forward, and, and the and the focus is fully on um, on our future prospects in this season, which are you know really really good at the moment. So I really pleased with the club for getting it done and, and pleased for Miles as well that he gets a couple more years of, um, you know, he's comfortable now. He can settle in for a couple more years of footy and, and see where it takes us and him and, and how the project goes together. And, and certainly at the moment, it's looking like it's going to be a pretty pretty happy marriage for a while. So really happy with it. Alrighty, so Essendon this week, uh, which seems a good moment to... Uh, I should also point out that um, I'll make just play tribute to... Mark Choco Williams getting, um, yeah, it's the AFL Hall of Fame um, getting inducted there. An honour that seems to speak for itself in the sense that, you know, one of those ones that just, yeah, he was always going to get there, but it's still a moment to savour as as poor people to um, for what he's, I mean, what the Williams family means to Port Adelaide is just unquantifiable, really, when you consider the, you know, Foss Williams run, the Creed, and all those things that are integral to what Port Adelaide are now. Was there's so much down to, you know, we were we have a history long beyond, uh, you know, before the Williams family became involved at Port, but they kind of crystallised everything that had come before them and and made it like they it kind of just came together with the Williams family and 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 turned into what it is. Uh, and you know, obviously, there's plenty of people, you know, the Eberts and the Kales and all that that are involved as well, but. You know, we're we're just blessed as a club to have so many great names attached to being such influences and at our club. But for Mark Williams to come in with that name to Port Adelaide, um, you know, it was the reason I say Essendon's a good time to talk about. He was the assistant coach under Kevin Sheedy at Essendon for the couple of years before he came into the competition. Um, but he comes back to Port Adelaide when he come into the AFL and 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 coaches under John Cale for a couple of years there and obviously takes over when Kale's um, let go and um, you know he comes in with you know he comes in with pressure already because it's Port Adelaide and you're coaching Port Adelaide and all that stuff and then you come in with the Williams name um, as the coach of Port Adelaide and it's just uh, you know he's mentioned it before it came with pressure and uh, I think he said this week um, how you know in those years before um, breaking through for that 2004 grand final win um the abuse that he get at times on because Adelaide's such a unfortunately one of the great th- it's great to live in a, in a passionate footy town and especially with the two teams and the rivalry and all that but that does unfortunately when you have that kind of world it's always going to mass- manifest itself in some ugly ways at times and he said you know about the pressure and the and the abuse at times and having a struggle to go down to the shops when when we were losing those finals in two thousand two and two thousand three. So there was a real pressure there, and then you see, you know, how he reacts on Grand Final Day, and and that iconic. Um, I mean, just I remember watching that Grand Final, and I was sixteen, but uh, my dad let me have a few beers that day and and enjoy it. Uh, just you know, he was just like, you know, he saw how much it meant to me, and um, was handing handed me a couple there later on. I didn't eat or drink anything for the first three, like two and a half quarters or three quarters. And I don't think I actually accepted a drink from him until some way through the last quarter because I just couldn't I was so nervous now I would be drinking from the start it's just you know I was I was young so I didn't you know but um I just remember like that when he was walking down those MCG steps and he's wiping his eyes and you got you can hear Anthony Hudson go oh look at the emotion and I I remember tears coming into my eyes as well and then the 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 tie pull it's, it's iconic like it is it is one of the most iconic, enduring images of any grand final of all time. That that Mark Williams pull like pull of the tie, and and even after that, the Alan Scott, you were wrong on the stage there, and it just shows how much he remembered everything that was going on in the city and and for Port Adelaide, and how much it meant to him though as well to get there, you know, to rise above all of that shit, and um and get to this point and and lead one of the great AFL sides of the modern era, like the Port Adelaide side, um. Obviously, Brisbane were equally as good, and unfortunately, Brisbane were just better at the pointy end of the year and being able to create a dynasty while we were, you know, three times in a row finishing on top of the table and just not quite getting there in the finals until that last one. But grand finals are incredibly hard to win, and, and being able to break through for that one is still such a cherished memory of mine. 
Um, like I said, I was 16, so it's such my formative years, um, going from being you know a child into an adult and starting to grow up into being a sports fan. We're all defined by those players and that co- and and Mark Williams as a, as a coach, um, and kind of just kind of defined who I was as a fan, good and bad at times. Like I didn't handle those 2002, 2003 losses as a 14 and 15 year old super well, but. And I was still learning, but you know, I, I also learnt what it was like to to support a team that was quite special. And and thankfully at that time, I knew like it's, by the time I was sixteen, I I was young, I was just just old enough to recognise that this, yeah, you know, especially with the two years that had gone previous to that, in um, those losses, you'd had the pain. So I was I really appreciate. I I went, to, I didn't get to go to the grand final. My family, the rest of my family's Crows fans, so I wasn't, you know, there was no way I was getting someone to take me across for the grand final um unfortunately um but my family were my mum was cognizant enough of how much it meant to me um to get tickets and 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 take me down um for both the uh qualifying final against Geelong um as well as the St Kilda preliminary final which I've been to sporting events all over this isn't bragging I've just this part of what I, I love I love sports and love sports travel I've been to sporting events all over the world I've been to Liverpool at Anfield three times. Um, I've seen Borussia Dortmund win um, in the 120th minute in a German Cup game 3-2 with Marco Roy scoring a penalty in front of the yellow wall at Dortmund. You know, I've seen um, the New England Patriots a couple of times with Tom Brady at quarterback. I've seen some the Rose Bowl game in Oregon win against Russell Wilson with, um, you know, by three points in an incredibly tight, high-scoring Rose Bowl game. I've seen some incredible games across, you know, hockey, basketball. I saw I was... I saw Damian Lillard score 71 points. I was at that game um, this year. You know, I've, I've seen some great sporting games in person across my life. I've been just lucky. And, and it's just, and it's also I've worked towards just being able to do that, present, have those kind of opportunities. But I still, I if I ever sat down and ranked my top in-person um, games I've been to, you know, the St. Kilda one's probably still going to be my number one memory, I think. Like, it's just, it was just so part of, the first classic foot game with such high pressure stakes I'd ever been to. I've been to so many since, but that was the first one. And, and I remember, you know, the angle I was sitting at um, on that on that uh, outer side, um, the opposite fifty to where Ang- Wanganin kicked the the sealer from, but on the same side. So I was like looking straight down the line, um, kind of at the back of Wanganin as he kicks that one through, and then I just kind of my eyes gaze to the the fans sitting behind the goal and wait for the flags to go up and realize it's gone through and then so I had a pretty good view of the um the chase down and Brent Guerra in the square there as well because that was right in front of that was pretty close to me there so what that team and what Mark Williams influence on that side because it was very much his side the way his his attitude and his fire and all that stuff um and the the fact that he goes out and gets Byron Pickett in and the trade in what 2000 2001 um, then it gets Damien Hardwick a year later and, and the kind of players you picked up and, and like I was talking about earlier, you know, it's the, the the other guys as well, you know, getting Josh Mahoney in that year and, and the likes of, you know, Dean Brogan. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this yesterday because I um, messaged the pairs on the pod guys when they asked for questions for Brogan. I was like, how does it feel when Pendlebury gets asked about his basketball background all the time when Dean Brogan literally won an NBL championship? Um, but, you know, it's just... It, that side was so, so much of him, um, the fire and the passion and, and all of that and the, and the passion for Port Adelaide as well. And we had so many Port Adelaide crossover greats in that side as well, the likes of Treadray and Wanganeen and, and Wakeland and co in there that had played for Port at the, at the Magpie level and were now, you know, winning a, winning a um, grand final at the AFL level as well. And, and obviously Williams as a coach, um, having played in Port Adelaide Magpie grand final wins and now coaching Port Adelaide to its inaugural um, premiership win, um, and it's just such a wonderful story. I think it it bridged the gap. Um, so I usually put my phone on do not disturb um, for the podcast, but unfortunately, there's a couple of uh, texts coming through that make me realise I haven't. But um, hopefully, it's not disturbing you too much. But anyway, yeah, it was so, it was a special time in my life, um, just as a fan to to go through that. And, uh, and I still have such great memories of it, very clear memories of where I was when I watched the grand final, obviously clear memories of being at the game, the qualifying and preliminary final as well. Um, there's even a moment in the Geelong one because my mum just randomly got the tickets on like in the first row on the fence where Jared Schofield like, runs into the fence 
um, and you just if you pause it, it's pretty hard on the DVD these days. Like, um, well, I know you can still see it, but you just see my mum's like face just in horror as she thinks Jared Schofield's basically going to crash into crash over her. Um, I, 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 she remembers it, and then when I found it, I got the DVD of it, and I made sure to find when it happened and pause it and bring her in just so she could be embarrassed once again. <laughs> but that's the memories. That's like what Mark Williams did for me. It was like I have all these memories. This is like we're talking almost twenty years later now, and um, I. Um, you know, working on some things that I want to, some designs I'd like to release somehow next year, going into next year, and just commemorate that grand final win. And uh, Mark Williams is very much a centre part of that, and um, his legacy in football goes beyond. I mean, you know, he coached us for another few years. Um, you know, he bring bring like you know guys that are in our side still right now. Travis Boak, where their first coach was Mark Williams. You know, um, and so many of the former champions that we've had um, in the in recent years, like Robbie Gray, Westhoff, uh, Mamish Hartlett, um, those guys um, came in under Williams as well. So he's he had a long career there. Unfortunately, you know, two thousand seven, it it sucks that that records on him, but it's it, it, people forget that he got us to another grand final. Um, that's a you know, and with a side that wasn't um, you know, it was just a magical run to get to that grand final. We weren't really the second best side in the competition, but we in some sense of irony when um when we weren't expected to get there we did um in comparison to 2002 2003 um but that doesn't sully his record at all for me you know he the winning grand finals are so difficult that he got through for that one in 2004 and it was a dominating win against a a dynastic team in brisbane um and i guess another another little weird piece of it is the fact that he was a Brisbane player back in his playing days as well. There's like lots of little little things in his career that just are interesting um, how things how things go. But you know, since then he's been oh, assistant coach at Richmond. He was at GWS after us. Um, and he's currently at Melbourne and, and the Melbourne players, the way the Melbourne players and, and, and other coaches there talk about his influence on that 2021 grand final win for uh, Melbourne speaks to just how much of a um, legacy he continues to have in this game and influence and, and how much they love him there and really speak about his influence. Like, it's not like it's it's over, it's beyond what, you know, the, the usual platitudes given to, you know, development guys and stuff like that. Like, they really credit um, a lot of William's influence there, which is great. Um, he's all, he's had a big influence in just training. Like, there's the, there's the um, Precision Sharon footy, the one that's got, like, the red stripe around it that's, like, his idea. Um, for you know, just giving a visual aid for kicking and stuff like that, and 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 you know, just development, you know. So beyond having an incredible playing career, an incredible head coaching career, in which he has one of the iconic moments in grand final history, he's had this you know thirteen, fourteen year career now in in assistant and development coaching. That's um, a whole other you know, just and he's got another premiership under his belt in that time as well, and yeah, just. A fantastic legacy. I've gone on a lot longer than I meant to, but it just, it just, you know, when I start talking about these things, it means so much to me about my my history as a Port Adelaide fan and our history as a club. Um, in the time that I've been alive, it's um, I can talk about it for days. So, anyway, we've got a game this week, so I should just talk about that briefly before I get to a fucking hour on this thing already. All right, so we've got Essendon coming up this week, which provides an intriguing matchup because if you look at um, our game earlier in the season, you know, you just if you just purely look at the winning margin of five points, you go, well, fuck, they ran us close. But for that game, there's a lot of differences. Um, to, there's a lot of differences or caveats to put on it, I guess. At that time, we were playing, it, it was a real different ruck situation. Um, we got beaten handily at times. Like, they were just taking it out of the middle quite well. And we're really putting our defense under pressure. And, and, and we had, and they kicked some pretty easy goals out of that. Um, when we could get our hands on the ball out of the middle, or just or just make it not an easy exit out of the middle um, or out of the stoppage, we generally controlled the game a lot better. And that's you know we I think it was twelve twenty to thirteen goals nine I think off the top of my head. Um, I looked it up like I'm not off, completely off the top of my head. I looked it up like yesterday, so um, looking it up again just to make sure. Yeah, twelve goals twenty ninety two to 13, 13 987. So we had thirty two scoring shots to. 22 you know 10 more scoring shots we had the territory battle overall we're winning we just didn't take our chances they took their chance you know the 12 20 or 13 9 like they took their chances a lot better the, f- the far fewer they had and made it a battle and that and so we missed a lot of opportunities within the, in the in the middle of the game where we really could have put the game to bed they missed some late on because i think they were they were kicking they were kicking at one point like they could have been 
could have been like 12 goals, 3 or 12 goals, 4 at one point. I think they did kick a run of points at the end when we were trying to hold on there um, without having actually gone back and watched it properly um, since. Uh, I just remember it going um, very very much um, that we should have won it a lot more handily than we did. Um, and then they missed it, possibly missed some opportunities late. But, you know, we, we were overall better. But, you know, since then, I can't, I'm pretty sure that would have been... Um, yeah, Rintik would have been on the side at that point. And um, he just wasn't... Obviously, he was battling away and he's learning his craft. But, uh, you know, the, the ruck situation for us as well um, at that time is just vastly different to what it is now. We've seen Scooter come back in and just and be far more... Um, engaged in the battle and, and just fit for the battle in the middle there um, and, and as actually we've won the hit out battle the last couple of weeks which has been fantastic to see um, so he's going to provide a lot more even if it's not the clear, clear wins from the clearance just not allowing as much clear wins for the opposition either because they really took it out of the middle with ease at times in that game and, and threatened to take the game away there early in particular I think they kicked a few I think they, they won the first quarter I think from memory um, so there's that kind of that changes a lot of what I'm looking at this week. I look at, I would look. Um, I think Peter Wrightson, he's a, a unique matchup, being just you know the whole two meter Peter thing. And he's just he's just a really tall. He's just one of those guys that um, with his height, if you get him in a one on one, it could be tough to to but to match up on. Um, but overall, I, I remember you know talking about the Geelong game, going back to previewing that one. I talked about that the the. the um, amount of weapons in their forward line and overall apart from when we you know against Geelong when we let the ball go in a bit in that first quarter it was really just Gary Rowan that was um, kind of leaping and flying and doing all those things we managed to handle them pretty well and that's that all comes down to the fact that we just as long as we have control of the game um, doesn't that allow as many easy entries or just quickness out quick uh, rebound kind of entries into their forward 50 either so I think we'll find um, I, I'm feeling a bit more comfortable at defensive matchups. I, I do still think that the de- defense is the one area that we're, that just concerns me and will for the rest of the season, just with the, the lack of options, I guess, for us. Um, you know, you know, Jonas not being at the form he's been in in the past. Uh, Cleary struggling form early, get, starting to get some form in the S- SNFL, and then and then getting injured probably when he was maybe starting to put his hand up for selection. Um, so we just don't have the the uh, <laughs> the horses in the stable saying that one again um, to con- you know to battle too much if we start get injuries or anything like that or nor do we have them I mean even within the game if we if we're getting overrun then it starts to become an issue but you know I've, I'm starting to trust a lot more that we can control the game against really any opposition if we if we're on a on a you know on the ball because we've done it against some of the best sides in the comp so far this year so um, that doesn't concern me too much, and I'm pretty pleased with how our forward line's running as well. So, um, I mean, looking at the sides they've picked, I think I think Essendon have actually left out Dylan Shield, which is one of those main kind of guys. That, I mean, he's there, so he's in their emergency. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets um, named as named as the named as the sub. I guess it's just it's crazy that Dylan Shield, a player of his caliber, um, he's a, he's had a unique career since he's gone down to Essendon. So. Um, you know they're they're a talented side and they've certainly been playing some good footy. They're going to be smart, smarting a little bit. Having you know they probably went across to Frio. Frio have come back into form over the last couple of months since a rough start, but you know aren't great either. And I would have thought Essendon would have been going across. Particularly they've gone across and beaten West Coast over there, though. You know so has everybody. Um, so they probably were going across last week thinking you know we we can go over and get a win against Fremantle on their deck. Um, maybe this is one of our opportunities to. To show our kind of credentials this year, and but they they unfortunately lost um, by thirty two points. So they're going to be smarting from that. But it's also it's been interesting because I've seen stats around about how teams off the bye this year are zero and seven. Um, I think the the only wins off the bye this year have been teams playing both have been play, coming off the bye. So someone's got to win the game, I guess, apart from a draw. So teams that are actually coming off a bye playing a team that isn't um, have all lost and so we're coming up against that this week but then you also look at Essendon and they're coming back from the inter- the, the biggest road trip they're going to have you know one the big the biggest road trip that you can have in Australian footy is going from the west to east to east to west or I guess um, west to Queensland is probably the biggest biggest one but um, so they've they've had a big road trip in the last week uh, and it's, it's funny because we 
the buy things and it is it is an intriguing one it'll be i won't put too much stock into it if we do happen to lose this week about the buy and everything because i think it's just sometimes the matchup that you come up against as well um but it is interesting that we we went on a run of three six six day breaks before the buy and that was brought up as a oh, can they sustain this because of the the short breaks and then once you're coming back with the buy it's like is it too long of a break and it's like well fuck what's what's the answer it's just uh well it's just it's just footy um and Essen, Essendon at the MCG which is the first time I've played in the minute there since 1998 which when I saw that this week I just was fucking blown away and just forgetting that we've just been playing them at Marvel which is just it's just crazy how it's just, you know the fixture makers and everything they do you just think that they'd figure that out you know just to throw that one in there again a little bit more often for Essendon and Port but whatever I'm um, not going to complain about it too much, but um, yeah, I, I, for me, I don't see. I, I just feel quietly confident going in this week. I think um, you know it would be nice to come out of the buy and, and buck the trend of the buy, the buy curse, whatever you want to call it, about um, coming off the buy and losing, um, as well as just keeping the streak going. It'd be nice to bookend the buy with keeping the streak going. I don't expect us to keep the streak going all year. Obviously, I think that we'll drop one or two. Here and there, um, with some tough games coming up, and and Essendon certainly are a tough one. I don't, I think they're a decent side. They're trying to get themselves into finals. They've got a lot to play for, um, so they've got their their heads are in the game, and, and they've got a talented side all round. But I just think when you if you put pay, um, our form and our plate, the you know our twenty two's form um, in an eleven game win streak against Essendon's, if you look across the board, it's just uh, I take our team um, in every every facet over theirs and, and that's just where I come down to doesn't mean I think it'll be comfortable I think uh, I'd be betting if I was putting you know I want to put a margin on I'm just going to say 20, uh, 21 points that's my standard kind of close game mar- close but not too close game margin I, I do I do that every week on the, the one game you got to pick on your footy tips for a margin I always put 21 if I'm not exactly sure if it'll be uh, if I think it'll be a, con- a contest of some sorts so that's kind of where I'm at on it. Um, our side, obviously, um, we've got Rioli coming back in, which means uh, I think Sin's been omitted completely. Um, Quinton Narkel, who was the sub last time round, Oh, no, he wasn't the sub, sorry. He uh, came in, Rioli got ill right before that Geelong game, so Narkel came into the side when he wasn't going to be. Um, I think Narkel probably deserves the... Uh, it's interesting, we've got Jonas in, in the emergencies as well, Jace Burgoyne and, and Dante Vicentini, which I'm pleased to see him in the game day squad. I don't, you know... I would like to see Vicentini get a shot at some point, but uh, not at the moment, obviously. But I think Vicentini's been um, pretty impressive down at this sample level from what I've been reading and, and catching in the snippets of highlights I see. So um, it's good to see him getting that kind of, that little bit of uh, um, boost to his um, young budding career that he's, um, you know, being named in the emergencies. But I think Narkel showed his versatility. Certainly he, he was running through the mid, you know, kind of putting the ball inside 50 as well as, you know, getting those couple of goals he had 13 disposals and, and handy disposals as well in that Geelong game and really had a had a fundamental impact on that result so I'd, I'd expect Narkel to be the sub but I feel I feel like I've been missing on the sub predictions this week anyway this year anyway so who knows um Rioli had actually been going a little bit better I think some people were like oh Rioli's back in but you know he had I think he had improved a bit before he got ill so um he probably deserves to come back in and 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 you know, stake a claim for his spot before he loses it without deserving to too much. I know people, you know, the Rioli role is a tough one as that, that kind of forward, um, I think. And uh, people sometimes scapegoat him, start, have started scapegoating him a little bit like they did um, Motlop a little little bit, I think. And, you know, there was certain that Motlop towards the end was really starting to struggle. But I think he sometimes did some things that we just missed um, noticing a little bit sometimes. So... I think, yeah, I'm happy to see Rioli come back in and, um, you know, he'll, he'll lose his spot um, if he doesn't perform, but I think he deserved to come back in at least um, off the illness. And, and Narkel, certainly the way teams are using the tactical subs these days, you know, if Narkel gets the sub role, he's going to get it. He's going to get onto the field. Um, it's very rare you don't see the sub used at some point, either if the game's put to bed, like we saw with Scooter against Hawthorne, or if, um, you know, the game, there's a bit of a struggle and you want to try and, you know, throw that X factor of change, a little bit of a change up in there somewhere, or obviously if an injury forces your hand as well. So, you know, I, I'd expect Narkel to be the sub and, and I'd expect him to, he's going to see some field time anyway. So um, not too not too much to worry about there, but otherwise, you know, I'm pretty happy with where we're sitting going into this one. I think certainly Essendon are a team that likes to move the ball and, and play a little bit exciting as well. And um, I expect them to give us a good run. 
um, certainly not an easy one, especially going. And it's and you know we don't get too many opportunities at the MCG. We talk about a a great record at um, at, um, at Adelaide Oval. Fuck me, um, Marvel Stadium. But you know MCG hasn't been as much of a happy happy hunting ground um, lately. Particularly you know our last game there. Pretty sure our last game there was the. Uh, uh, Collingwood match unless I'm missing one of those ones and the win streak was actually there but I think we only had Collingwood and Essendon in there so you know that game didn't go well so this is a chance to um, chance to change it up but you know this one's under the lights as well so it's a bit different to that Collingwood game earlier in the year um, a night game so all to play for um, certainly um, we're entrenched comfortably in the top four and we kind of we want to keep it that way now and, and we want to we need to win the really winnable games and I think despite the fact that Essendon's not the easiest of opponents and they're certainly going to be a good test um, and it's away at the MCG I think this is still one of those games we look at it on, on the ledger and say this is winnable and, and we've got to win these ones to now that we've got ourselves in a good position um, going towards the um, home stretch of this regular season um, we want to kind of keep that comfortable position in the top four and um, this is certainly coming off the bye um, riding that streak a little bit again um, having the rest in the legs be nice to prove to you know any doubters still that you know rest in the legs having having a few days off whatever doesn't change the fact that this team's um, got their eyes on something and and are really passionate and 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 intense about kind of meeting that goal so it's a big it's a bit of a test coming off the bye to see if they can show that they've that momentum hasn't been stopped and 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 we've and we're moving forward at pace towards finals. I think Essendon at the G is a really good test for it. So, looking at a 21 point win myself, um, but obviously more than happy to see it be much more than that. I'm always happy for a comfortable result rather than uncomfortable. Anyway, thank you for listening. This one's gone on quite long. I'm just ticking over an hour here, so I apologise for being a bit longer. But there was also a fair bit of different stuff in there today, so. I'm, not not a big deal anyway so yeah thank you for listening as always um calm the power let's keep this uh i said calm the power properly this time fuck calm the pair fuck losing my touch um bye week lose my touch as long as the boys don't (laughs) that's all good calm the pair let's get it going keep it going for a 12 game streak